the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Esau and Jacob eventually make amends, but their descendants never do. And for generation after generation after generation, the Edomites particularly are vindictive towards the Israelites. They have animus towards the Israelites. And they are always doing things to take advantage of them. In essence, at the start of the study, thus the three-kick rule, they continued to kick the Israelites when they were down. And God says, enough. And he sends Obadiah to confront them. Throughout Jacob and Esau's lives, they were constantly fighting amongst themselves. But the sibling rivalry didn't stop with them. It was passed down through their descendants. Even after Jacob and Esau reconciled, the deep-seated animosity and bitterness was passed down generation after generation, mostly from Esau's line against Jacob's line. In today's message, you'll learn from Pastor Gary about the message that God wants Obadiah to give to the Esau's descendants. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Obadiah as he begins his message, Don't Take Advantage of Others. Come now to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah was a prophet who penned this, this, uh, this letter, this book, and it is the shortest book in the entire Old Testament. It's only one chapter. It's only 21 verses total. And, uh, and I'm going to give you a little background, as I have been doing with the other books of the Minor Prophets. So here's a little background on Obadiah. Nothing's known about him. We, we don't know where he was born. We don't know um, when he lived, uh, who were his parents. The Bible is silent about it. Uh, we do know from his name, there's no B in the Hebrew alphabet. It's, it's a V. And so in Hebrew, his name is pronounced Ovadia. Ovadia in Hebrew translates servant of Yahweh or worshiper of Yahweh. So we know something about him because of his name. He's a servant of Yahweh. He's a worshiper of Yahweh, Yahweh being the name of God. There are at least a dozen Obadiahs mentioned in the Bible. This Obadiah is believed not to be any of those. And so, um, again, we have no particular insight into him. There's a, probably the most uh, famous of the Obadiahs is the servant of King Ahab mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 18, but that is not the same Obadiah. This guy who, who's, uh, who, who is the one who penned this, this book is not mentioned anywhere else. And it's hard, therefore, to date 
his prophecy, except that when you look at some of the verses we're actually going to look at today, it appears that he is referencing the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem. If that's the case, then we date his prophecy somewhere written around 586 to 553 BC, because the invasion of the Babylonians uh, and ransacking the city of Jerusalem happens in 586 BC, and he references this. So it has to be that date or later. And this prophecy is unique. This particular book, uh, Obadiah, is different from all the other minor prophets in that his letter is not addressed to the Jewish people. It is directed towards the Edomites. The Edomites are the distant cousins of the Israelites. And we're going to talk about them and kind of the history and background. We're going to look at who are the Edomites. And we're also going to see here that this story in Obadiah actually has a connection to the Christmas story, believe it or not. And so I'm going to weave in a little bit of Christmas at the tail end of this. But we'll talk all about that and more in today's study of Obadiah. I'm going to read here first 15 verses. Look at your Bibles with me. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. See, there you have it. Edom and the descendants. Edomites. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. Note that name Esau. How his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Taman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the Lord, the day of the Lord, upon all the nations is near. And as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Well, there's a story about a big city slicker lawyer from New York who decided to go down to Texas for a a duck hunting trip. And um, 
he, uh, he shot a duck and, and the duck fell down into a field that belonged to a farmer and there was a fence around it. So just as the lawyer from New York was about ready to climb over the fence, the farmer pulled up in his pickup truck with a shotgun. He says, what do you think you're doing, son? He says, well, I just shot, I shot a duck and it landed in your field and I've come to retrieve it. He said, you ain't going to retrieve it in my field because once that duck lands in my field, it's now my duck. That lawyer said, I'm a good lawyer. I'm going to sue you for everything you got if you don't let me climb over this fence and get that duck. He said, son, you don't know how it's done here in Texas. In Texas, we have the three-kick rule. He said, what's the three-kick rule? He goes, well, this is how it works, son. He says, I get to kick you first three times, then you kick me three times. Then I kick you three times, and then you kick me again three times, and the last man standing gets the duck. That's how we do it here in Texas. Well, the lawyer sized him up. He was younger than the farmer. He's like, I could take this guy easily. So he said, all right, old man, you go for it. So the farmer climbed out of his truck, gave him a swift kick in the groin, bent him over, then kicked his face, almost knocked his nose off. The guy's on the ground and then kicks him in the kidney really hard. That lawyer's just laying there flat on the ground. He decides, I can't let this old coot win. So he musters up every strength he has. He stands up. He says, all right, farmer, it's my turn. The farmer says, that's okay, you can keep the duck. (laughs) Now that's what's happening here in the book of Obadiah. You say, where do you see that, Pastor G? Well, here's what's happening. Historically and consistently, the Edomites have been kicking the Israelites when they're down. And God takes note of it. He says, I I see the way you've been mistreating the Israelites. You've been taking advantage of them. You've been kicking them when they're down. And so God calls them to account. And he sends the prophet Obadiah to speak to the Edomites. Now, who exactly are the Edomites? We have to get a little historical context to understand our story and what is happening here. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, who was the the twin brother of Jacob. The Bible says that, Which, by the way, is is why the name Esau is mentioned here in the book of Obadiah several times, because the Edomites are descendants of Esau. So in the book of Genesis, it tells us that Abraham had a son, and his name was Isaac, and that Isaac married a woman named Rebekah. And together, Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau was the older of of the two, because Esau was born first. And in Genesis 25, 25, it gives kind of a, a, I don't know, an unusual, peculiar description of Esau upon his birth. In Genesis 25, 25, it says, Esau came out red, and I'm reading from it, and he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. So he comes out red and hairy. And the Bible records it specifically, red and hairy. That's what baby Esau looked like. I don't know if you know this, but archaeologists uncovered a picture of him a long time ago. (laughs) Right here, I have it for you right there. There it is, right there. Red and hairy. uh, That's a cute, that's a cute little orangutan right there. So that's probably, I'll have to apologize to Esau probably one day. But I'm just saying with the Bible, what the Bible says red and hairy, that's what I think of. And, uh, and kind of an unusual uh, baby born like that. And they name him Esau because Esau in Hebrew means hairy. Not H-A-R-R-Y, H-A-I-R-Y. They're like, well, the, the kid came out hairy, let's just call him Harry. So the rest of his life, they call him Harry, Esau. Now, 
It's kind of cruel, I know, but that's just kind of how they did it back in the day. Esau was a man of the field, the Bible says. He grows up. He's kind of a, a man's man. You know, he's a hunter. He likes flannel shirts and burly beards. He likes guns and pickup trucks, and he listens to Blake Shelton. That's Esau, okay? Now, his twin brother, Jacob, was very, very different. Uh, Jacob, the Bible says, was a man of the tents. He was, he was a homebody. He was kind of a mama's boy. He was very smooth and clean-shaven. He, he, uh, he, he dressed very prim and proper, liked to tie sweaters around his neck, and he listened to Bruno Mars. I mean, that's just, he was just very, very different than Esau. They were, they were two good guys, but they were very, very different people. Now, the Bible tells us on one occasion, and many of you are familiar with this, that Esau was out one day doing what Esau does. He's out hunting. He likes, he has a taste for wild game. And he's out hunting. Jacob is back home. He's watching the Food Network channel and he's making stew. And Esau, after a hunting expedition, is so famished that when he comes home and he sees Jacob's got the stew ready, Esau wants a bowl of the stew. But Jacob, being true to his name, because in Hebrew his name is Yaakov, and Yaakov in Hebrew means deceiver or manipulator, says to Esau, I'll sell you a bowl of stew. Esau's like, who do you think you are selling me a bowl of stew? He goes, yeah, I'm the one who's been home all day making this, and so I will sell it to you. Here's the cost your birthright. Now, let me tell you something about the birthright in ancient Jewish times. Esau was the oldest born son in the family. The birthright entitled him to three things. Number one, twice the inheritance from the father when dad died. That was just a privileged status. You're the firstborn son. You get a birthright. It's actually a legal document entitling you to twice the inheritance of the dad when dad dies. Number two, you would get the paternal blessing. Dad, before he dies, would pray over you as the oldest son and would bestow upon you the paternal blessing. And number three, you would become the patriarch of the family when dad died. It was a very privileged status in that day. To be the firstborn son was a special status indeed. Jacob, over a bowl of stew, convinced Esau to sell it to him. Esau gave Jacob his birthright for a bowl of soup. I want you to think on that for just a moment. I almost said stew on that for a moment, but that's a bad pun. (laughs) In a moment of fleshly desire, he compromised a very sacred thing. There are many times in our lives where we will be confronted with what is valuable. Please do not trade it for something that is sinful. Now, there's nothing wrong with human appetite. God's given us a human appetite. But in the moment, his hunger mastered him. His appetite mastered him. Not what was right, but what was expedient. And we get ourselves in deep trouble when we do what is expedient rather than what is right. And Esau, in a moment of weakness, in a a moment of expediency, decided, I want to satisfy my physical hunger. The birthright means nothing. And he sold it to Jacob. And so they became uh, at odds. Now, when Esau, the Bible says in Genesis 25, verse 30, when Esau took the bowl of stew in exchange for the birthright, it tells us specifically that it was a red stew. I don't know, maybe a tomato base or whatever. It was a red stew. And therefore, when he ate the stew, and because the Bible says also he was born red and hairy, he was nicknamed at that moment Edom. Because Edom in Hebrew means red. 
So between what the Bible describes as his just kind of, you know, the color of his skin, just kind of ruddy, reddish. That's what is meant by red. He's just ruddy, comes out ruddy. And he's eating a red bowl of stew. He gets nicknamed in Genesis 25, verse 30, Edom, meaning red. Thus, all of Esau's descendants are the Edomites. Now, most of you are familiar with the fact that Jacob is renamed by God to Israel. Israel means governed by God. It's a wonderful story where a guy who's named Jacob, deceiver, manipulator, has an encounter with God. And once he has that encounter with God, God says, now your new name is governed by God. No longer will you be deceiver, manipulator. You will now be governed by God. He takes on the country's namesake. He becomes Israel. The country is going to be named after him. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Israel. Okay. Jacob's descendants are thus the Israelites. Esau, his brother's descendants, are the Edomites. And the sibling rivalry continues for generation upon generation. And this whole thing about the stew was not really the worst or the most offensive thing between these two brothers. The worst thing that happened was later on, when, as many of you know, their dad Isaac was nearing death. And he was old in years, and so he was also practically blind at this time. And part of that paternal blessing that went along with the birthright was that Jacob wanted dad to lay hands on him and bless him as the patriarch. But Jacob knew that he had deceived Esau for the birthright. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us that Isaac knew that Jacob had deceived Esau for the birthright. It was a negotiated thing between two brothers. So with that in mind, Jacob and mama, Rebecca, because he's a mama's boy, the two of them decided we got to deceive dad in his old age, to give you the blessing that was intended for Esau. And mom comes up with this idea, because, Jacob, you're fair-skinned and smooth, even though dad's blind, he can still smell and touch. And when you get near him for the blessing, he's going to feel you, and you're all smooth-skinned, and you don't feel furry like your brother Esau. So we got to dress you up. And so they take a goat, and they take the hide of a goat, just the fur of a goat, and they put it on Jacob's, the Bible tells us this, on Jacob's arms, on the back of his neck. Okay, to make him look like Esau. What did Esau look like? But anyway, (laughs) goat boy, you know, and so there Jacob is, and they splash some dirt on Jacob too. We got to get you smelling earthy because Esau's a really earthy guy, but you're, you know, you, you smell like cookies, Jacob. So we got to, we got to splash some dirt on you and get you smelling really earthy. And so put on a flannel shirt like Esau and, and we'll put some goat skin all over you and you'll go into dad, which is what he does. And he goes into dad and Isaac in his old age, he, Jacob says, I'm here. Da- I'm not here, dad. <clears throat> and Isaac actually says it. As, he, as Jacob draws near to him, Isaac says, well, it sounds like the voice of Jacob, because he can't mask that. But when Isaac begins to feel his arms and the back of his neck and smell him, he's deceived and he's convinced that it is Esau. Jacob is living up to his name, the deceiver. And Isaac prays the blessing, the paternal blessing over Jacob, thinking that it was Esau. Esau will come in later and find out what has happened, and he will be so enraged that he will spend a lifetime trying to hunt Jacob down to kill him. This deep-seated bitterness and animosity uh, between these two brothers has now been something that is transferred to their descendants. The Edomites and the Israelites become long-standing perennial enemies, all because of sibling rivalry. That's how it started. Now, Esau and Jacob will make amends. But by that point, you know how it is? Two people who are at odds, 
can make amends and come back together. But because they've poisoned everybody else around them and everybody else around them, friends and family have taken sides. You know how that works? They've taken sides against the other person and there's this internal conflict. The two people who are at odds might make amends, but you got all the peripheral people now who are still at odds with each other. That's what happens. And so Esau and Jacob eventually make amends, but their descendants never do. And for generation after generation after generation, the Edomites particularly are vindictive towards the Israelites. They have animus towards the Israelites. And they are always doing things to take advantage of them. In essence, at the start of the study, thus the three-kick rule, they continued to kick the Israelites when they were down. And God says, enough. And he sends Obadiah to confront them. And Obadiah confronts the Edomites, and God indicts them in three ways. If you look in your Bibles here, in verses 10 to 13, there are three things that God says against the Edomites. Here are his indictments against the Edomites. In verse 10, for violence against your brother Jacob. Right? Now, now they're distant cousins, right? Because the descendants of Esau, the descendants of Jacob, that makes them distant cousins. But they're still affectionately referred to here as your brother. He says, you, you Edomites, you descendants of Esau, you are now held accountable for your violence against your brother Jacob, against the Israelites. Shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. Note that. We'll come back to it at the end. He says in verse 11, In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. Now, here's what God is basically saying. He's describing here in this verse, verse 11, when the Babylonians besieged Jerusalem took captive thousands of Jews and deported them as POWs back to Babylon. And what God saw was that during the invasion of the Babylonians against the Israelites, the Edomites were standing on the sidelines with their arms crossed, not helping their brother. Just like, oh, well, hard times come, hard times go. You know, you guys are getting your comeuppance kind of a thing. And they're standing on the sidelines. And God says, you were as one of them. You were just as bad as the Babylonians when they attacked the Israelites because you did nothing to come to the aid of your brothers. So indictment number one against the Edomites was this, that they refused to help a brother in need. Listen, this is important for us to understand even in our day. Sometimes doing nothing is a great sin. Where you see a need or a problem And it is within your capacity to do something, to help, but you don't. God holds us accountable. It's sin. When we have it within our resources and our capacity and our ability to help someone that we see is in need, or to come to their aid, to help rescue them in a time of trouble, and we remain silent and we do nothing, God sees it. And he holds us accountable. You know, there's a familiar verse in the Bible. Most people don't really know where it is. Uh, To be honest with you, in the study of of this sermon, I had to look up where is that verse. But there's a common verse that people quote a lot. It's a very sobering verse. And it says this, be sure your sins will find you out. Okay, it's one of those verses that people quote when they're like, you know, if there's anything sneaky going on in your life, be sure your sins will find you out. Because whatever you're doing that might be evil, God sees it and God's going to expose it. 
build your new life. The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.